the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses, or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Clock on this Tuesday, the very final morning of the final month of the year of our Lord, 2019. That's right, next time we talk, it will be 2020. A new decade will have begun, and uh, the question is, is what kind of a decade, or, well, let's not get too far out in front of our skis here. What kind of a year do we have in store for us? We have uh, less than 11 months to decide the future of this country in terms of its leadership. That will happen in November of 2020, and uh, what we do between now and then is going to dictate the future of this country. So I appreciate you being with us. Uh, thanks again to Steve Loomis talking about things on a local level. Uh, I want to talk about things on a national level and beyond now with our good friend Peter Now, Peter is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Now his 19th year are you headed into Peter Now, 19th year on the uh, commission? That's exactly right. Wow. 19 years on the Commission on Civil Rights. He is, of course, a Cleveland attorney. He's a best-selling author. He's a columnist uh, who writes for the National Review and our own National Review Online and uh, so much more. Peter Kirstenau back with us for the final time in 2019. How are you, Pete? Doing well, Bob. 43 days till spring training, 112 to opening day. A little bit of a disappointment there with Clemson, and uh, looks like we may have a head coach. You going to put your hat in the ring? Uh, <laughs> who do you like? Who do you like? First of all, are you, do you agree with the move? I think we all kind of said they, they couldn't come back another year with Freddie doing what Freddie does. No, they can't. They can't. He seems to be a nice guy. I think what I, I think it was less Freddie Kitchen's problem than I think management made a rare error in the era of, in the era of John Dorsey, and that is, you know, we had a lot of talent. I think that's uh, 
inarguable. We had the talent to get there, and wow. instead of going with somebody who's been there before, we went with Freddie, and I think that probably back then may have been a reasonable choice. I don't want to second-guess anybody who's been in the business, but uh, clearly Freddie wasn't getting it done. I think he, he had, was advanced a little bit too quickly. He, he just leapfrogged up into a head coaching position. I don't think he was ready for it, but this time they got to get it right. My view, Bob, I don't know if you concur, is um, no more experiments. Get a guy who's been there, has been done, has done it before, and can take this conglomeration of talent and do what I think. I think this was a team. You know, I wasn't one of these folks who was saying twelve and four and thirteen and three. I thought, though, it was very plausible that they could have gone nine and seven, and I would have been extremely happy with that. They would have gotten into the playoffs, um, more likely eight and eight, but uh, six and ten was abysmal, and the way they lost was was just atrocious. So and to uh, the whom camp- they lost. Right, right. And they, there were glimmers of hope. You know, we were beating teams. I mean, we beat Baltimore. We only lost two teams that beat Baltimore. We beat them handily. And, uh, but you know, they lost to three third-string quarterbacks. <laughs> right, right. You can't do that. You can't lose to the Mason Rudolphs and the, all these other guys. You Duck know, Hodges. And the other, and, yeah. Right, right. You know, a duck. You can't lose to any ducks. But um, no. and also another instructive thing was that, uh, although I think the penalty uh, was appropriate, um, the loss of Miles Garrett really showed how important he is to this defense because as soon as he was absent from the defense, there it took on a completely different character. Also, just a plug, re-sign Schobert. My goodness, sign that guy again. Agreed. Um, you know, I just don't get it. I don't even know why that's even a question. Yeah, I don't either, and I don't know what he's asking for or what you know, starting Pro Bowl middle linebacker is going for, but I agree with you. But you agree with me, though, and not Hugh Hewitt, though. Hugh says, write a check, a blank check, sign it, and give it to Urban Meyer and tell him to fill in whatever amount he wants. That will solve all of our problems. That's what Hugh thinks. You disagree. I disagree completely because, um, again, you have to have somebody who's been there before. I happen to think Urban Myers is the best college football coach, at least of the last 20 years. The guy's a, a, a genius. National championships at two different schools. But he's not been at the pro level. I would go to Saban in that question, but that's another day. That's another conversation. But I would say he's yeah. where okay. he would second to Saban in that regard. But go on. But, um, you know, I, I think the college game is completely different than the pro game. And, again, no experiments. No experiments. I think Urban Meyer, if he had spent a couple of years in the NFL, I'd be happy. And, and if he was successful, and by successful I mean had winning seasons, he doesn't have to go to the Super Bowl. But, um, look... I think you get, look at the college football coaches who've made the leap to the NFL. Now, even, you know, Pete Carroll, his first stint in the NFL was abysmal. You know, it took him a couple of stints. You know, he went, this is his third iteration, and now he's doing well. But we don't have the time for that. <laughs> Bob, it's been 30 years. My goodness. We have to win now, and we've got the talent to win now. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I told Hugh uh, on text and on Twitter that he's, he's barking up the wrong tree with Urban here. No disrespect to Urban, but we need somebody who has won at the NFL level before, and it's time to bring Josh McDaniels home. His first experiment as a head coach did not go well out in Denver with Tim Tebow there, but uh, how many times do we see guys on their second go-round, that's when they're successful. Look at Pete Carroll, look at Bill Belichick himself, and I think it's time to bring Josh McDaniels, uh, Canton native, and uh, John Carroll grad back home again. Uh, okay, that's uh, uh, a great conversation, but let's talk about a more serious conversation now, Peter Kirsten. Now, Grafton Thomas, 37 years old, he's the suspect in the machete attack at a uh, rabbi's uh, home. 
uh, a knife-slash-machete attack that wounded five people, uh, some very seriously. Andrew Cuomo calls it an act of domestic terror- terrorism. Both Cuomo and uh, New York Mayor Bill de Blasio have proclaimed that this is because of the hate that is being that is emanating from Washington. Specifically, they're saying that this is Donald Trump's doing. All of this anti-Semitic attack, all these anti-Semitic attacks and crimes being committed in and around New York over the last month or so uh, are all a result of Donald Trump fostering hatred, apparently for Jews, I guess, and inspiring um, uh, Hitler worshipers. And yes, this this black man, uh, Grafton Thomas, apparently uh, had Hitler... uh, 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 He was reading Hitler and looking up Hitler and uh, making all kinds of other uh, very very strange uh, inquiries online that they found and some drawings and writings that he had made. So anyway, uh, they're saying this is all Donald Trump's fault, Pete, and I'm going to let you go with that. I think that the statements made by Cuomo, and I heard them, I I was actually watching it live, and, uh, you know, it's all you can do to restrain yourself from throwing something at the TV. We've seen this kind of dynamic in the past, where we have the mayor of New York, the governor of New York, other liberal leaders, always looking to politicize something, and politicize it in a way that is completely contradicted by the facts. Bob, you and I, on several occasions on this program, talked about hate crimes and the fact that when you look at the data, not the lies being told by the left and their media allies, the data show a significant drop in hate crimes in the Trump era. There's been a drop, not an increase, number one. Number two, to the extent there has been an increase, this is something you and I have talked about, there's been an increase in anti-Semitic hate crimes, and particularly in New York City. I don't have the data right in front of me right now, but we have talked about it once before. If I am not mistaken, 40% of the hate crimes committed against Jews in New York City have been perpetrated by blacks. In addition to that, Hate crimes overall. You mean those black, black white supremacists, right? Black, yeah, exactly. They're, they're, they're rampant all over the place, you know, wearing Klan outfits and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, it's contrary to the left's narrative. They're befuddled by it, but they, they know they've got a lying, complicit media. I hate to say that, but that's the only way you can describe them. The media knows full well what's going on, and what they do is when they don't explicitly lie, what they do is suppress the information. They don't cover it. They don't talk about it to perpetuate this narrative that somehow Trump, the grand white supremacist, is somehow fomenting hatred and perpetrating and, and, and encouraging these hate crimes to occur. It's just the I mean, it's just so absurd. It's beyond belief. The fact that we have to talk about this is extraordinary. But as I was watching Cuomo, I thought to myself, just a complete dereliction of duty and his obligations to the people of New York, de Blasio the same way, their policies have resulted in a significant spike, not just in hate crimes, but in crimes overall. They have done a, an a, uh, intentional Ferguson effect. In other words, without having any kind of riots or anything like that, where in other cities when those have occurred, the leadership there, the Democratic leadership in every case, 
pulled back the police. And when police were blamed, the police sometimes were maybe a little bit less aggressive in enforcing the law. And as a result, you had the Ferguson effect, a term coined by Heather McDonald, where the lack of policing resulted in far more crimes, significant upsurges in crimes, particularly in those localities where there had been one of these incidents like a Freddie Gray incident in Baltimore. Uh, or a Michael Brown incident in uh, Ferguson, meaning St. Louis, those cities, and Chicago also, once you had that Ferguson effect, you had a spike in crimes. The same thing is occurring in New York right now, but it's being done intentionally by the mayor. He is reducing the amount of enforcement activity that had been in place, started by Giuliani, continued, admittedly, by Bloomberg, but it's a, a function of what's known as the broken windows policing, where you take seriously every minor infraction, because if you don't do so, what happens is you have this uh, a domino effect. A broken window then results in something like trash in a gutter, and the trash in the gutter then results in a arson, an arson, so on and so forth. In other words, serious crimes escalate as a result of the failure to enforce the most minimal laws. It's a breakdown in social order, and they are intentionally engaging in this. Today, I think it is, is the day that the New York criminal reforms are going into effect, but they've been in effect doing this for quite some time under de Blasio and Cuomo, and what we've had is we've had a, a city and a state that's kind of out of control at this point. Anyway, sorry for, for bloviating there, Bob, but this is something that we can, it, it was predictable, we talked about it on your show, and in addition to that, the media and the left is always pointing in the wrong direction and not addressing the real problem, and when you don't address the real problem, you're going to get more of the same, and bank on that, unless Donald Trump steps in and uses federal authority by means of you know, increasing the amount of of funds available, or doing something else, and Donald Trump is <laughs> fully capable of doing whatever that something else is in order to perform the job that local officials properly should be doing. Uh, bloviate away, Pete. That was all very, very great information, 100% accurate as well. And I want to talk more about what happened you know, in Texas, of course, over the weekend, too, and the fact that there seems to be this spike of targeting uh, houses of worship, whether it be this rabbi's home on Hanukkah, this particular situation. You know, we have seen black churches. We have seen uh, uh, rural white churches. We have seen, obviously, uh, temples. We've seen mosques uh, all succumb to uh, violent uh, terror attacks, if you will, uh, mass shootings, mass stabbings, etc. What can be done? We'll talk about that more as well as we continue with Peter Kersenow. Back with us for the final time in 2019, right here on AM 1420. All right, 1024, as we continue right here on AM 1420, the answer, our friend uh, Peter Kersenow with us once again. And Peter, um, I, I want to bring in uh, Jack Wilson here and uh, let him kind of start this portion of our conversation. In his pocket, I don't know this for fact. Evidently, in his pocket and underneath his armpit, underneath the you know the long coat. I know he discharged two rounds and possibly a third round as he was going down because one round went towards the front of the sanctuary when he after he shot Richard and Tony, he went and started towards the front of the sanctuary, and that's when I you know, was able to engage him. 
He engaged him all right. Uh, Jack Wilson is a parishioner at the Texas Church that uh, um, was targeted uh, again for another shooting, as too many houses of worship have been over the course of the last decade, maybe, uh, uh, really going back. Uh, Jack Wilson, in addition to being a, par- a parishioner, uh, he is also the head of security at that particular church. At least seven parishioners got out of their seats and drew weapons at the time a gunman came in and opened fire and killed two. He was dropped inside of five seconds by Jack Wilson, and if he hadn't gotten them, others would have. This could have been a, a tragedy of ep- epic proportions. Pete, two things. Number one, arming parishioners and actually having armed security whether they be parishioners or staff or whatever clearly was the right thing to do here uh so i want your thoughts on that especially in in uh, in uh, a view of joe biden's comments from september in which he called it uh, what was the word that he used um Oh, I can't remember what he called uh, Governor Greg Abbott's decision to sign a bill. Yeah, it was something like boneheaded or something. I, I don't yeah, recall, I can't remember but, yeah. the word, but it was but it was wrong. Whatever it was, because he said he, should, he shouldn't allow uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, guns in uh, places of worship. So, number one is is about that, and then number two, Pete, just the you know, again, black churches, mosques, temples, white churches, rural churches, city churches, uh, all these terrible things going on in houses of worship. Um, what what uh, what do you make of that? It's it's hard to say, Bob. I hate to wax philosophical or theological about this, but I've said this in a couple of presentations I've made to some of your audience members. Um, I, I'm ill-equipped to address this, but I, I think that we've got a spiritual crisis, frankly. Um, you know, we can talk about policy issues all we want, but there has been an erosion of, um, I think, just fundamental values and an int- intentional erosion of fundamental values. That has been, I think, perpetuated by many of our institutions, uh, not just the media, but you look at our educational institutions, um, you know, the, the culture generally, uh, Hollywood, television, etc. And I, this is, I think, part of the consequence of it. Now, I don't want to make too much out of it because we're living in a great time, but when we don't pay attention to the... Uh, overarching values, the the eternal verities of life, then you're going to have this kind of outcome regardless of the policy prescriptions, and they may be good policy prescriptions you can come up with. However, bottom line here is an armed citizenry is more inclined to be a safe citizenry, and it's not just safe from, uh, you know, armed criminals, but just safety generally, a more polite society. There have been studies on this. There have been studies in in jurisdictions where there's concealed carry or even open carry. Uh, You have less crime, um, you know, and it's, uh, you know, a safer environment. The fact that it, this guy was able to kill two people in just a few seconds shows that if Joe Biden and Beto O'Rourke had their way, that it would have been a giant slaughter. Because no matter how proficient the police are, they still haven't pr- perfected the Star Trek transporter beam. They would have been there for a couple of minutes, and who knows how many other people would have been killed or injured as a result. Um, you know, Texas is my kind of place. Uh, that guy, I don't know him, but that's my kind of guy. Uh, 
and I'm sure, uh, I think there were something like seven other parishioners who had weapons. This guy was able to pull off a headshot under duress like that. Think about that. You are sitting in a pew. Yes, you are in a pew. You're worshiping our Lord. Next thing you know, you're putting a headshot at somebody, you know, in stressful conditions. And when you look at the guy, I saw him being interviewed. Um, That's the kind of guy you want as a pal. This guy was low-key. He said he's not a hero. He just did what he had to do. And on top of that, seven other people drew their weapons, too. This guy picked the wrong place at the wrong time. Now, had he gone to some other church where Beto O'Rourke's prescriptions had prevailed, who knows how many people would have been killed. The left is wrong about so many things. This is a principal reason why they're wrong, but there's an overarching reason here. The Second Amendment, although the fact of the matter is, you know, the, the left keeps talking about, well, you don't need to protect yourself from criminals. The police can do that, which is clearly wrong. The overarching reason why we have a Second Amendment is, I saw a a meme somewhere where someone said uh, the Founding Fathers didn't uh, draft the Second Amendment uh, because they were afraid of armed deer. You know, there was a reason they did it right after the Revolution, okay? And the basic reason for it is so we don't have a situation like we have pretending in Virginia right now where Ralph Northam is thinking about stripping law-abiding citizens of their fundamental freedoms, Second Amendment freedoms, but it's a, it's truly more than a constitutional freedom. It's a freedom that comes directly from God. That is self-preservation and protection. Very, very well said. And we could talk about Virginia. Maybe we will do that on another show for the entirety of the conversation because there is, uh, there's fixing to be a civil war in that state, uh, the likes of which we have not seen. And I mean that very seriously. There are sanctuary cities for Second Amendments, uh, Second Amendment believers who are being created uh, who will defy the will of the uh, government, uh, police who are saying they will not confiscate guns. It's a, it's a serious problem there. But, Pete, we'll take a time out now. And on the other side of that, Pete Buttigieg, who is uh, one of the frontrunners in Iowa, says that slaver, or the uh, founders of our country, those who authored the Constitution, did not understand that slavery was a bad thing. Ted Cruz um, killed him online, literally destroyed him. I want to get your reaction to that, Peter Christian, as we continue on AM 1420 The Answer. Right, 1036 onward, final 24 minutes of the year 2019 for this broadcast. Uh, it's been a fantastic year. I really appreciate everybody who's been a part of it all year long, including and especially my guest Peter Kirstenau, who is on 52 weeks a year. I mean, really, almost guaranteed, unless his uh, crazy schedule of jobs that he has to uh, maintain in mind <laughs> gets in the way. He is with us each and every Tuesday, and we always appreciate that. Pete, um... I teased presidential politics with Buttigieg here, and I will get to that, but I also want to ask you, just because it's breaking news this morning, this assault on uh, the Baghdad embassy, uh, the American embassy in Baghdad, I guess I should say, it reminded a lot of people of Benghazi when we first heard about this. Apparently, most, if not all, of the um, defenseless individuals, including ambassadors and staffers, have been removed from that 
embassy, uh, and only armed personnel, defenders, uh, reside inside. But thousands of protesters and militia members, Iranian-backed protesters and militia members, promising and threatening to kill everyone inside, literally to leave no one standing. Every employee um, uh, inside that embassy is is being targeted because of the airstrikes, which were a response to the rocket attack that killed a contractor and wounded others. Um, What are your thoughts on what's going on over there, number one? And number two, um, it was just revealed, or not revealed, we were reminded a couple of days ago that the $150 billion that President Obama released to the Iranians was in cash, literally 100% in cash. We all knew we heard about pallets of cash, did not know that the entirety of that uh, payment to them was made. I, I feel like some of those dollars are probably at work right now. Well, they are. And uh, John Kerry even admitted as much a couple of years ago. Uh, that was an abomination. Could you imagine if Roosevelt had given $150 billion to Hitler? Uh, that, that's a little bit of an, it's, it's not the same kind of thing, but our avowed enemy. Yeah. They're our avowed enemy. These folks, every Friday, their leaders lead them in chance of death to America. They are the greatest sponsor of terrorism, state sponsor of terrorism in the world. It's just extraordinary, astonishing. Had Donald Trump done anything even remotely similar, uh, the entire press corps right now would not simply be engaging in all kinds of pejoratives and tweeting about it and, and lying about it, frankly, they would have circled the White House with pitchforks and torches. It, it's just extraordinary what happened. But with respect to what's going on right now, obviously these, this is Iranian-sponsored and directed. It's not simply something that is organic and is happening of its own accord, at least in my estimation. I believe that anything that is transpiring in Iraq is being directed by the Iranians with a purpose, and we should respond intelligently. Uh, We don't necessarily want to escalate the thing, but we must make sure all Americans are protected. I am relatively confident, you know, you you can't be certain of anything in the Middle East, and you can't control situations like this with 100% perfection, but I'm confident that this administration is going to do whatever it takes to make sure all Americans are safe and U.S. policy is is preserved. So, uh, you know, this is, the the Middle East is the Middle East. I have to say that, um, you know, I have been readjusting my view of what goes on in that place on a regular basis. And I think that those who take the Trump perspective, I think, might, might have the right idea. And that is that, look, the Middle East has been a cauldron for thousands of years. And, you know, we jump in with two feet for a few years, which is, you know, just a speck in time and expect to change things. And it's not going to happen. We have to look out for American interests. And the immediate interest is making sure Americans are, are protected. Yeah, I agree. I don't want to escalate it either, but I started my show today saying we doggone well better be willing to escalate it if one American is killed. If one American I think this president will do that. Yep. Yeah, I think I this do, president will do that. I think I think his predecessor would have found some excuse why he wouldn't do that. I completely agree. All right, Pete, uh, I want to talk about another Pete. This time it's Buttigieg, and this is Pete Buttigieg from 2014, and I'll tell you why it matters right after we hear it. Similarly, the amendment process. They were wise enough to realize that they didn't have all the answers and that some things would change. Uh, A good example of this is 
something like slavery or civil rights. Uh, for It's a, an embarrassing thing to admit. But the people who wrote the Constitution did not understand that slavery was a bad thing and did not respect civil rights. Uh, and yet they created a framework uh, so that as the generations came to understand that that was important, they could write that into the Constitution too. The people who wrote the Constitution, which are the people who founded this great republic, didn't understand that slavery was a bad thing, according to Pete Buttigieg. Now, I don't want to overstate this, Pete, but but I think this is just the latest example, quite honestly, of uh, you know a, a leftist uh, you know politician who is trying to talk about America being inherently evil or America being inherently uh, wrong in some way or another. Ted Cruz heard it. And responded to it with a series of tweets quoting Benjamin Franklin, John Adams, Alexander Hamilton, John Jay, and all of the things that they said upon writing the Constitution, including that, quote, slavery is an evil of colossal magnitude, and I am utterly averse to the admission of slavery into the Missouri territories, it being among my first wishes to see some plan adopted by which slavery in this country may be abolished by law. That was John Adams, founding father, second president of the United States. Um, I just don't know how they can get by and how if somebody isn't calling him out on this, the suggestion that the founding fathers were slave, were, were believers in slavery and, uh, and were deniers of civil rights. Yeah, Bob, uh, I wish we had more time to talk about this because this is right in my wheelhouse. Um, the fact Take of the as matter much time is, as you want. well, here's the thing about mm-hmm. Buttigieg. I think he is being both dishonest, but I also, also think quite frankly, despite the fact that he's this vaunted Rhodes Scholar, which frankly doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, it tells you a couple things. I think he's being dishonest and is saying things malicious about the true history of the United States for political advantage, and that disqualifies him, in my estimation, from being President of the United States. If he thinks this country was so um, so racist and continues to be so racist, and he thinks it's an awful country, uh, forget it, guy. Uh, you don't have any prospect for being elected President of the United States. Second, though, it, it, it I think, evinces something even deeper, and that is that um, for a long time now, we've been getting the Howard Zinn of history. Our educational institutions have been on a mission to tear down the truth about this country. And the truth of the matter is you've cited, and Ted Cruz cited, many of the founding fathers who had a real understanding of the evil of slavery. But more importantly, they had an understanding about the complexity of mankind, that there could be a dual personality. They understood that they were flawed human beings, and human beings generally were flawed, and that you could be a great person, and nonetheless, you could also be a flawed individual. And people like... Buttigieg and many of the other leftists who tear down America are literally like Lilliputians standing on the shoulders of giants and saying that they can see for miles and miles and miles. They, they tear down the country that has given them the greatest and all of us, the greatest advantages ever afforded to any human beings in the history of civilization. And with all the creature comforts afforded by the mechanisms and the frameworks of the Founding Fathers and all of our other ancestors and predecessors, they then go back and with, I think someone used uh, an interesting term called chronological um, arrogance. Looking back now, they look back and point at those individuals and say, oh, they're flawed, and you can't believe a thing they say, and you've got to destroy everything. You've got to tear down their statues. You've got to erase the various constitutional provisions that they created because they were all racist in the founding. And it's necessary for the left 
to convince people that America is flawed so that they can justify changing the things about America that the left wants to change because they want to take us in a more leftward or socialist direction. An American people that understands its history, that understands mankind and all of the flaws and idiosyncrasies of mankind would never permit the greatest nation on the face of the earth to be torn down like this or changed so that our freedoms are eroded very gradually like a frog in a pot on the stove. And that's precisely what's going on, but it's proceeding apace now. What's what's alarming right now, Bob, is we're seeing the entire left being dragooned into, including the media and our educational institutions, being dragooned into this project of revising America into something that we will not recognize. And one of the great dangers is, just as Buttigieg indicated, or, or suggests, it's in our educational institutions that are teaching a flawed uh, understanding of history, or uh, frankly, just lying about history. And it's a function of the 1619 Project, among other things, the New York Times is perpetuating and is being adopted by educational institutions, which project is based on lies. And you saw, uh, Bob, that a number, the, the best scholars on these issues have written to the New York Times saying, you're wrong about these things. And the New York Times is saying, so what? We're going to continue marching forward because we have an agenda, and that agenda has nothing to do with the United States of America. Pete, that is such a great analysis, because you're right. That's why I kind of started the part of the conversation by saying, you know, the, the belief that America is inherently evil, the belief that America is inherently flawed, is what they have to do, as you say, in order to justify changing it. Barack Obama said it in point-blank terms, I am going to fundamentally change this, or transform this country. That's their goal. And his um, his platform was geared toward doing exactly that. Now, he wasn't able to get all of it done, but the process continues um, by his, his, you know, his successors. Um, so when you say Buttigieg is now inherently, well, not inherently, you didn't use that word, I'm overusing it, uh, is not qualified to be president for what he just said and did, um, I would suggest to you that none of them are. No one will call him on it. None of his Democratic rivals are going to call him on that and say this country is not inherently racist. This country wasn't founded by people who didn't believe in civil rights. All the things that he said, who's going to call him on it, Pete? Because they all are in the same boat. They all do believe the same thing. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the media is complicit in it also. You know, I go back to certain verities also. Um, you know, we all know this. If this country is so racist, why is it that so many people of color are dying to get here? What, to be oppressed? To be discriminated <laughs> against? This is the nuttiest thing in the world. It's just the, the things they say are on their face absurd, and they're being perpetuated by media. And unfortunately, our educational system, in the basic elements of how to reason has fallen down on the job so so many people don't even don't too many people not everybody but too many people don't even recognize the inherent absurdities of the comments that are being made and history is clear as to the founding of this country sure yes we had slavery in this country guess what here's the other thing here's things that without you know justifying you can't justify slavery but they seem to focus only on the United States of America when the United States of America in terms of countries that had slavery was one of the countries that first of all got rid of slavery fought a civil war and nobody else did that right. second had slavery in existence for a relatively short period of time now there's no such thing as as a short period of time when it comes to slavery it should never be that no doubt about that but look at these other nations in North Africa and the Middle East we still have slavery today 
And in terms of the slave trade, the bulk of the slave trade was not in America. It was in the eastern part of Africa, northern Africa, Middle East, and Brazil and the rest of South America. But do you ever hear those countries being chastised for their long history of slavery and continued history in many respects of slavery? No, the focus is only on the United States, the only nation that fought a war in which more than a half a billion million of its own citizens perished. It's the only nation that they continue to point to. And sure, We've pointed to it in history, and it should be acknowledged in history. It should be a big part of history, and it is. But to say that it defines the United States of America and its founding is a big lie, and it's a lie designed to change America because there's no other way you could look at the greatest nation in the history of the world and say, we want to change America in such a radical way that the left wants us to, unless you can say, yeah, we're in such bad shape that radical changes are required and we should go in a socialist direction. Pete, take take me a little bit further into the why. Um, and I don't know what we don't have a ton of time here, but when you talk about all of the other nations and and how we were for a relatively short period of time uh, a slave nation, a slave holding nation, and a slave trading nation, when you compare it to other nations around the world who still do this today, and also because you know there's and again you and I have talked about this before, <clears throat> there is this belief that America is unique when it comes to slavery. You just detailed that it is not, yet we take the vast amount of the blame, not just from American Democrats, but internationally, uh, it is a scourge upon our history, as it should be, but why only us? Is it because we have evolved from that dark period of our history to be the greatest force for good, and as a as believers and professors of American exceptionalism, we have to be dragged down further? I, I just don't understand why this the part of the history you just said is so you know is 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 kept so uh you know out of the the, the public square yeah uh, you, you just touched upon it with respect to american exceptionalism i think they never underestimate the collective uh power of collective envy nations can envy other nations populaces can envy other populaces and that's the case with respect to other nations looking at the united states there are several reasons why this is going on right now, one of which is the left wants power. They believe in not the freedoms that we enjoy, but a more socialist order. And they know, as we've just discussed, that they cannot convince most Americans to change that unless they can convince Americans that somehow America is fundamentally flawed and needs to be changed because right now this is the greatest nation in the history of the world we provide all all kinds of fundamental freedoms um and and wealth that could only be imagined as little as 30 years ago and other nations can't replicate that right now we are the greatest nation by far and so there's a natural tendency both on an individual basis and collective basis to try to tear down those that are succeeding and doing better than you are but they also, are making headway, though, Pete. They are making headway. And I apologize for having to wrap it up here, but um, 70%, according to recent surveys, of millennials, 70% yep. of millennial voters see socialism in a positive light. So they are making headway in that uh, inexplicable goal to try to uh, fundamentally change this country from the greatest force for good to being uh, yet another source of, uh, of poverty and of oppression, which is what socialism has always bred throughout the world. Peter, we got to wrap 2019 here. I am so very much looking forward to talking with you in 2020 as we get ready to reelect the President of the United States and save this great republic. Thank you so much, my friend. Bob, thanks for letting me be on the finest program in the United States of America. Congratulations on five years, and Happy New Year. 
Thank you, my friend. God bless. Peter Kirsten now on AM 1420, The Answer. It's going to wrap it for him this year. I've got time for a couple of calls before the top of the hour. Last calls of the year coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. Check out Guitar George. He knows. Final five minutes of the year. My goodness. It uh, really, really goes quickly, does it not? Let's get a few more fo- phone calls in before we are done. Uh, TJ in Cleveland, his last call of 2019. Hi, TJ, yeah. go ahead. Hi, Bob. You know, listening to uh, Steve Loomis and his money that's coming here, and, you know, Steve made a good point. You know, you can temporarily hire more policemen, but the city can't pay them to keep them. Right. I say spend a lot of that money on more dogs, more German shepherds. Give these policemen almost every one if you can a dog. When I seen that video where that creep sucker punched that policeman, yeah, and he slowly let the dog out the back. Well, guess what? The dog made a nice arrest without using lethal force. Uh, <laughs> they're, great, they're great things, and they work cheap. They could maybe have a career five to seven years. You know, I mean, it would be the gift that would keep on giving. And, and you know, I'm just thinking outside of the box with this, but with law enforcement, you can't beat a big, nasty German shepherd, you know, to restore order. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm willing to do anything because, uh, uh, the city of Cleveland is in a bad way right now. The, he said the record number, the homicide record hasn't been broken, but violent crime is clearly on the rise as evidenced by the, uh, the Department of Justice and their willingness to include Cleveland in this, uh, in this grant, if you will, these federal dollars to improve and increase law enforcement in Cleveland. So I'm willing to do anything, my man. Thank you. Uh, to, uh, Dave in Lakewood. Hi, Dave. Go ahead. You're on the air. Uh, uh, this is thank you, Carl. Uh, you just had Peter Kirsten on. I've never met this man, but every time he's on, this guy is very intelligent. Whatever he discusses, you hear intelligent comment. Uh, thank you for having him on. I really enjoy him because I know it's going to be intelligent talk. God love you and God love him. That's all I got to say. Dave, God bless you, my friend. I appreciate that. Thanks very much. I wholeheartedly agree. Peter is always prepared. Now, I talk to Pete usually the night before, sometimes the morning of, sometimes both, to let him know what I'm going to be asking him about and what issues are going to be discussed so he is prepared. But so, he'll tell you this. So many times I hit him out of the, you know, out of the blue with something that wasn't prepared, like the Benghazi, or the Benghazi, the uh, Baghdad story this morning. I'll hit him with things that we were not planning to talk about. He never misses a beat because he is so well versed on so many different topics. You are 100% right. That is one of the things that makes him great. Thanks so much for the phone call. Sister Mary Grace in Old Brooklyn, go ahead. God bless America. And your five years, I'm going to send you the pineapple story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, please do. Thank you, Sister Mary Grace. I appreciate it. Next month, we're about to cross over into my fifth year of hosting the authority on this program, or on this uh, radio station, rather. And I'm very much, uh, very, very proud of that. Uh, Jan in Greater Cleveland. Last call of the year, Jan. I've got 30 seconds. Go ahead. The money should go uh, toward uh, getting rid of the drug dealers. Happy New Year, everybody. Congratulations, Well, I, I think we would all agree with that. Get rid of the drug dealers would be a great goal indeed. Jan, thanks so much for the phone call. That is going to do it. Thanks to my crew. Uh, thanks to my crew, including Marcy, including Derek, including Andrew, including David, including Josh, and everybody else at the radio station for another great year of radio. And thanks to you for being a part of it each and every day. We will be off tomorrow with the Best of Show, so hopefully you will uh, enjoy that. And uh, we're back again live on Thursday, January 2nd. So until then, be well and be safe. God bless. Bye-bye. Enjoy the silence. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.